What is up, folks? It is January 1st. Uh, excuse me, January 18th. Goodness, what am I talking about? 2017. And this is another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. My name is Rafael Garcia. As always, I'm back to talk to you about some of the biggest things going on in the sport of mixed martial arts. We're going to have, we have quite a bit to talk about today. You know, it's kind of a slow weekend, but we still have some pretty good things, uh, pretty good topics prepared for you for today. Um, my partner in crime, as always, Shawan Humes, is on his way in. We expect him in about 10, in 10, 15 minutes, get himself settled, and we can go ahead and get the show kicked off. We have a couple of um, different topics. We're going to look at UFC Fight Night 103. Um, Obviously, a lot of different things happened there between BJ Penn, Yair Rodriguez. We saw some interesting fights between Joe Lozon and Marcin Held. So we're going to talk about that, break down what we saw, what's next for these guys, and um, how they can continue the rest of their career. We're going to talk about the upcoming Bellator 170 event, which is this uh, Friday, I believe. Um, this Friday, this Saturday, one of the two. It is this Saturday, the 21st, which features a main event between Chelsea Sun and Tito Ortiz. You know, this is Tito's last professional fight, or so he says. So we have we have that right there to talk about. A couple of different things from that card as well, too. And we're also going to talk about um, just some of the news that we've seen from this past week. Uh, we Obviously, we have Tim Kennedy's retirement. We have Nate Diaz talking about he's going to go boxing. And I want to get um, Schwann's, uh views on King Mo's comments uh, from earlier this week. So we're going to uh, hope you saw that. We're going to get opportunity to talk about that as well. But always, you know, we're looking to bring you a good show. Definitely cover uh, MMA in the best that we can. Because, you know, as, as always, we are from the MMARatings.net website where it is the only site around where you can actually go in and rate the fights. You can tell us what you thought from a one star to a 10 star rating scale. And then we like to look at what people thought about fights across the board. It's kind of how we break down wh what fighters bring the most interesting fights, what fights were the most exciting and most compelling for people. So we are going to look at um, a couple of different topics today. So give me one second. The first thing we're going to talk about, as I mentioned already, is what occurred at UFC Fight Night uh, 103. And of course, you know, everyone, and everyone is aware, you know, we saw in the main event, we saw Yair Rodriguez definitely dispatch of a returning BJ Penn. And it was an interesting uh, affair because a lot of people, we, uh, it, it was, unfortunately, the hype of this event leading up to the show was that, you know, we're looking at the return of BJ Penn. You know, this is, this is another, this is a once again motivated BJ Penn and everyone is uh, excited for his return, excited to see him come back. Unfortunately, that's not what we saw when he did get back in the cage. Um, we saw what looked to be a 38 year old man fighting against, I believe, uh, Yair Rodriguez was 24. And the fight played out exactly what you would think. 
Sorry about that. So in about seven minutes, we saw uh, Yair Rodriguez dispatch BJ Penn in a fashion that was just um, almost uncomfortable to watch. It should have been uncomfortable for people who enjoy MMA and enjoy what they see um, because Penn, for lack of a better term, definitely looked old in the cage. And he looked old in a way that was disheartening. Um, he wasn't in there. I mean, he almost didn't fight back. For multiple periods of time, he was standing there taking shots from Yair like he couldn't react, like his body wanted to react, but he was just too slow to be able to do so. And what we ended up seeing was he ended up getting put out uh, in the second round. I think this was his first time in his career that he was ever dropped. And I want to say one of the rare times in which he was finished in such a fashion as well. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, BJ Penn's record is 16, 11, and 2. But we're talking about someone who had a long standing um, durability, like just a, just, a, just a sense of durability about him that was just, you know, almost mythical to a sense. Yes, we did see Frankie Edgar finishing by TKO stoppage back in 2014, but that was like after round after round of just bludgeoning him throughout that fight. Um, this one, was uh, I don't want to call it a mercy killing, but it was probably about as close as you could see. That last combination that Rodriguez hit him with the front kick, and the thing is, it was the rear front kick that caught him too. That like that's that's so rare. He, he catches him with a front kick, follows it up with the right hand that drops pin, and he wails on him for a couple of seconds before the fight is stopped by John McCarthy. And there are, there are some individuals who are talking about if that um. If that stoppage was late, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it was too late. Yeah, there were a lot of shots that landed, but as I mentioned, you know, Penn has a history of durability and being able to come back from that, those types of situations. But at 38 years old, he was just unable to do it. He was just unable to do it. So what ended up happening was um, the fight was stopped. And Rodriguez basically uh, got his got his hand raised and got what is the biggest um, the biggest win of his career at this point in time. So obviously, there's going to be questions coming out of this fight. You know, on one hand, you have to ask: Is um, is Penn done at 38 years of age? I hope I hope we don't see him fight again. Um, he's not someone. Unfortunately, I've never been a big fan of his, uh, and I've said that on this show before. I've said it time and time again. I've just never been a big fan of him. But you never want to see someone get into a cage and fight like he did on Sunday. He was definitely blown over, and it it paints a black. And I don't say necessarily it paints a black on, on his legacy, but it's just disheartening to see him lose in such a fashion. It's just it's it's a struggle to have to deal with his legacy being tarnished in such a way. So yeah, me personally, I don't want to see him compete again. I'm at the point where, you know, I've had the opportunity of, of enjoying some of his past fights. 
and I've seen him compete at the highest levels for so long. But looking at the way he performed against Rodriguez, you know, I think it's time for us to be okay with him walking away. Um, I don't want to see him come back two years now, two years down the line, which tends to be the case with with Penn. We've seen that time and time again, and I'm okay with him, you know, calling it a quit, calling it quits. He belongs in anybody's Hall of Fame. Um, right out the game. I mean, this is a guy who fought, who moved up to light heavyweight before to fight Leo Machida. He's bounced all around and, and has had consistent success across multiple weight classes. He's one of only three men to hold a division in or hold a title in two different divisions. So, yes, whenever we talk about Penn, we have to talk about the respect that he's earned throughout his career. But again, as I said, I do not want to see him fight again at any point in time just because he did not look good at any moment in this fight. I understand that even if he had his flashes, but he didn't even have his flashes. He looked like someone who was unable to compete at the highest level and that was his wake-up call. But that click you just heard, that click was uh, Schwan joining us um, for yet another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How you doing there, sir? Oh, good as always. Once again, the apologies. Uh, I just can't seem to make it consistently on time here. I don't know why. And I love the show. I don't know what's the problem with me. So, man, it, it happens. You know, people have lives, man. This isn't our nine to five. You know, you're a great contributor to the show. We appreciate you. If you got to run a little bit late, man, you got to run a little bit late. It happens. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, obviously you heard me talking about um, our boy BJ Penn and his performance on uh, Sunday. You know, before we get into what Rodriguez did gain from this win, what's next for him? Uh, what are your thoughts, man? Were you surprised with what you saw? Um, I was saying how... I, I was reading this week that BJ looked so shot because he was unable to respond to the violence he was getting hit with. And that's kind of the most telling thing to me that he was very slow to fire back and even be able to make any, any sort of offense for himself. So what did you take from uh, Sunday's main event? Uh, the, the main thing is uh, BJ actually looked like he was prepared to me. He looked like he had a game plan. He looked in as good a shape as he could have been. And he and I don't think he had flashes where he was like winning the fight or he was dominating or anything like that. But he had flashes where he was doing the he was doing the right things and getting some work done. He came out. He applied some he applied some good pressure. Um, he landed a couple shots off the counter. The thing about it was Rodriguez's speed. And to me, to me, BJ Penn's never been the fastest guy, especially late in his career. And against somebody like Rodriguez, who is probably top in as far as his speed goes in division, probably in the top 10, 5%, somewhere around there. He's fast for a featherweight. Um, it just made BJ look even slower. And BJ, as it stands right now, is already slow. I mean, he is 38. He's been fighting for a long time. He's been in a lot of wars. He's been competing in, in combat sports for a while. He doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of speed to begin with. And facing a guy that fast, I think the speed overwhelmed him. Um, he took a lot of clean head kicks. He took a lot of big shots. And for the most part, he actually took him fairly well. I've seen lesser fighters. I've seen younger fighters, more fresh fighters in their prime, not respond to shots that clean as well as he did. The thing is, he couldn't deal with the speed. The speed was just, it was really too much. And it made BJ worse than he is. And I'm not saying he's he's world, he's world rated or top five or top 10 or anything at this stage as it stands. I just thought he had a little bit more left on the physical end of things. And he didn't. And that was the difference. He had one moment where he had a chance to get that takedown when he, uh, caught, he drew out the kick, he caught it, he pushed him to the fence. 
but he didn't have the explosion to rip his legs out from underneath him, get underneath those hips, rip him down, and get him on the ground. If BJ gets him on the ground, I think we're having a different conversation. But he didn't have the athleticism. He didn't have the speed. He didn't have that explosiveness anymore. And that was basically that uh, that would determine the fight. That speed and that reaction time just wasn't there for him. Yeah, and I mean, none of it was there for him from for any point in time. And it was it was. <sighs> I, I, I point to the final combination that kind of finished the fight. Um, he, Yair Rodriguez lands that front kick from the rear side, which is very difficult to do because it's a slow, for some, more often than not, it's a slow moving kick. But he lands that front kick from the rear, from the rear leg, throws, um, then he throws a right hand that knocks Pin down or kind of completely puts him down. But you notice that Penn was trying to fire a counter shot back. Before that shot even made it halfway around, Rodriguez had already began bobbing and weaving out the way. So even if that kick and punch would have missed, Penn would have still missed that counter shot. So you can kind of see where mentally, this and this is just you know from what we were viewing on the outside, mentally it seemed like he was noticing the cues to go into action. But I was wondering if he had, if he struggled with the ability to be able to react, because that is what goes as you become an athlete of that age. We see it across sports, in basketball, football, wherever, tennis, in those sports where you need. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Where you need to be able to have that reaction time, and it wasn't there. It didn't look, it didn't look like it was there through any point of of the fight. The only thing I liked about this was that BJ actually came out and looked like he. he had a plan. He had an approach of what he was trying to do. I saw what he was trying to do. He was trying to pressure Yair, throw something out so he could counter with his hands or that he could get Yair to throw something heavy so he could catch it, force him to the fence, and get him down. That was his plan. That's what I thought would work best for him. The thing is, like you said, his reaction time just wasn't there. Yair was able to put spinning kicks together just because he just couldn't react to it quick enough. He couldn't react to it quick enough on the defensive end, and he couldn't react quick enough on the offensive end to land land clean and solid counters. I still don't think Rodriguez has the greatest boxing or the greatest defense. But when somebody's three or four times slower than you, the skill get it doesn't matter how much of a skill gap there is, you're gonna take some. And and most and that's one thing a lot of MMA casual fans don't understand. Started doing this, it was about the skill and the experience, and it still is to a degree. But now it's, there's a lot of athleticism. And when you're facing someone who's got a huge advantage on you and athletically, regardless of your experience and your tenure, if you don't, if you're not even close to the, what they can do, you're gonna have problems. Even if they're much more raw and they have shaky defense, and they're kind of all wild with their offense and not necessarily efficient. When there's that much of a physical advantage, there's very little you can do. And and that was the that was the problem BJ came up against. It wasn't that his chin couldn't hold up. If BJ was moving at 50% of what he used to move at. He might have had a chance, but he's just so slow, and his reaction is so poor at this stage. He just he doesn't have anything left, and and that was the problem. He came out with a plan. He was in shape. He was prepared. He was doing the right things. He actually landed some counter shots. He actually uh, used the cakewalk on Yari Rodriguez. He was going one way. Yari saw Yari followed in too hard, and he turned around, caught him with that clean right hand. But the old BJ would have had a left hook behind it. The old BJ could have got his hands on him and taken him down. But this BJ. He, he just doesn't have it. He just does not have the athleticism. Against another 38-year-old, that's a different conversation. Against a young guy who's 24, he, he just didn't have it. So we we talked about what Penn 
did and did not do. Let's talk about the winner of the fight because I think um, Yair, I think he did a lot um, on Sunday, and he um, he. I don't want to say he impressed me. There are I still have some questions about the way he fights and about his game. But um, what did you take away from Yair after Sunday? I honestly, a lot of people said it was a star-making performance, or some people said this. I my opinion on him still doesn't change. He's a great athlete. He's got some good skills. But to me, and I'm not trying to give BJ any credit on this, past the credit I've already given him as a fighter. Yair's hands still aren't really good to me. His defense, to me, still isn't that good because as slow as BJ is, BJ landed some counter jabs. BJ walked him straight into a right hand. BJ just didn't have the snap or the timing to land as clean as he should have. But he still landed that shot. That shot shouldn't have landed. Really nothing BJ threw, in my opinion, should have landed because there's that much of a speed discrepancy and that much of a range discrepancy as far as the kicks go compared to BJ, who's a straight-up boxer when he goes in the fight. So I still think Gary, he's a good-looking kid. He's got athleticism. He's got a wide range of skills. He, I just don't think the depth in his skills, the depth of skill in each area is where it should be for him to be a top 10 fighter. Now his athleticism makes up for it. His unorthodox, his unorthodox approach and his creativity kind of covers some ground, but I still can't get that Alice Caceres fight out of my head. That, that, made, that showed me some things that made me a little bit concerned as far as his ability to be a top rank contender or a title contender at this stage. I still think he has holes that are easy, that could be attacked by a better athlete. And still in all the fights he's had, he hasn't blown anybody away except for BJ Penn. He hasn't blown any other guys he's fought in the UFC away. It's been back and forth, push and pull. BJ Penn's the only guy he's dominated from beginning to end. A 38-year-old guy who hadn't fought in, what, two years is the one guy he blew out. So it looked impressive. It, it's it, it looked flashy, but anybody who knows MMA knows BJ. I thought BJ could still could win, so I'm not going to downplay that. I thought he could win, but we talked about the very real reasons why BJ might lose. So it, it's not as impressive as it would have been against maybe a veteran who was a little bit fresher, who'd been more active. I mean, a win like this against Hen and Burrell would have carried more weight to me than a win against BJ Penn at this stage. So, I mean, it's a good win. It's, on, it's a headlining spot. It got lots of attention. He did it in dynamic. He did what he was supposed to do. But that's all he did. He did what he was supposed to do. But it, it's still in my mind that he has never looked that destructive and dynamic against anybody except a 38-year-old guy who hadn't fought in two years. Every other fight he had, even his most recent one, was back and forth, push and pull, exciting contests that could have gone either way before they went to decision or were stopped. So I, I'm not as high on him as other people are. I still think he's got talent. I still think he can be a name. I still think he can be a draw. I still think he can be top 10 at some point. But there's some very real holes and there's some very real issues he has that I think a, a fresher, younger fighter could have exploited because BJ got him in a couple spots. Everybody's going to downplay it, but he caught that kick. He pushed him to the fence. A, a, fresher, a fresher guy could have got could have got that takedown because other guys, lesser guys, have gotten takedowns on Yari before. Lesser guys have counterpunched him. Lesser guys have pushed him to the fence. I've seen all these things happen. That's why I picked BJ because I've seen the holes in him and I still see these same holes. So while it's a good win, um, it doesn't mean much to me. And I can't imagine it, that it makes a big statement to other people. If you look at it, if you look at it objectively. So what do you do with them next? I mean, who would you place them against um, for a next fight? I am all about slow growth when it comes to these fighters. And we're going to kind of talk about that with Sergio Pettis next. You know, I'm all about slow growth with these athletes. MMA is a very violent sport that um, 
Tim Kennedy said something on a Luke Thomas other sh the, the other day. He said, it's not a sport for old men. It's a sport where young guys go to die young. And I'm very, I'm very in tune with that. Um, so what do we do to, um, to I think they should do keep with him in the, I still think they should keep him in with some lower top 15 guys. I mean, Hen and Burrell might be a good fight for him. I don't know that Burrell would take it because, Burrell's got to look at this guy and be like, that's what I looked like about two years ago when I was running the Bantamweight division. Burrell would be a good fight, I, I honestly think. Somebody on the lower end of that top 15, I know Yair wants a top 10 guy. His team wants a top 10 guy. He's headlined two events, so they're going to push for a top 10 guy. And I'm not saying there's some guys he can't beat, but I still think he should be fighting somebody, you know, somebody with, the, with a little bit broader skill set and some experience who might be able to handle some of the spots he's going to put him in. Burrell fits that to me. He's still got... He's a good grappler. He's still fairly good at takedowns. He's shown a little bit more re defensive responsibility, and he's a little bit more efficient with his offense now. And he went, he beat Philip Nover, and he had a competitive, good back-and-forth competitive fight with Jeremy Stevens. So he's still got enough that a guy who's a high-level high athletic fighter isn't going to just walk through him, isn't just going to dominate him. So we know he has enough for that. And I think Yair needs to face a guy like that, and then maybe let's go further up in that top 15 ranking. Because right now people are talking about Bermudez and I guess Jeremy Stevens would be a good matchup because he's a guy who likes to strike and he, he has some wrestling skills. And, and be honest, Jeremy Stevens has some exploitable holes that Yari Rodriguez could take advantage of. So I'd say Jeremy Stevens or Hennon Burrell fights, I would push for him. Fight. Mm -hmm. Um. So let's see. I can agree with that. I'm not, I'm not too mad at that call. Um. Again, as I mentioned, you know, I think that they should go very uh, slow growth for him. Some eyes was listening to a show this week where someone brought up the idea of uh, Doho Choi or someone along those lines. And I'm like, you need, we need to get out of this business of immediately throwing these guys to, for lack of a better sense to the wolves, because Rodriguez, um, he's someone that the UFC can cultivate for their Mexican market. And Doho Choi is someone that they can cultivate for the Asian market. And he's also coming off of that brutal fight against Cub Swanson. So we should pump our brakes, man. Let like everything doesn't need to be, you know, immediate happen right fast. Let's have some slow burns and let's let some things develop. And right. uh, the, the is someone that should develop. The M word, the M word is what makes people, people want to go faster, go further, faster. The M word money. You can't, uh -huh. The paydays you get from, even if it's in a contract, the, the extra money you might get from sponsors, the crossover media opportunities that all, all lead to bigger paydays. That's what everybody wants, which means you have you don't get to fully develop somebody because, as many fighters say, we can't live on the salary as it stands right now. I can't afford to live on this. I have to get to those bigger names faster, or I have to fight all the time. And the UFC isn't in the business of putting people fighting on a regular basis unless you're naming a draw already. So. His team's going to demand he get he gets a bigger name. He's going to demand that he gets a bigger name because he wants more money. Yeah. So um. So that's 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 definitely something that was kind of brought to uh, my attention. There's some things I was thinking about when it comes to Yair. Let's uh let's move on with the uh with the rest of the show though because I think all in all I think UFC 103 UFC Fight Night 103 was a good show. I I um enjoyed what we saw throughout the event. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I was interested in everything that we saw. So let's look at Joe Lozon, Marcin Held. Being a grappler, you know, I enjoyed this fight um, just because I knew these two guys were going to hit the mat and I knew that they were going to put on a show there. But when the victor was announced, I was like, I was, I thought I was drunk for a second. I was like, wait a minute. 
I know that they just didn't announce Joe Lozon as a winner. And I liked how he kind of made fun of himself because he talked about the other fight where he got jobbed out of, I think it was against Diego Sanchez. Who did he get jobbed out to? Um, but he got yeah. a bad, bad decision. And he joked like, you know, maybe this is the MMA gods giving me one back because they knew that that was a bad decision. But I mean, in reality here, this was uh, this was a pretty, pretty bad call here. Uh, yeah, I I didn't think it was a good call. I I don't know about a lot of other people. I, I I didn't think it was a robbery. I wasn't one of the things where I'm screaming like robbery. How could they do this? They're just there's he wasn't competitive at all. I didn't see it. I didn't see it like that. Like when um Diego beat Barn Campman on decision, or when he beat uh, Ross Pearson. It wasn't anything of that nature. The fight, the fight. I feel held one, but the fight wasn't anything. He, in my opinion, he ran away with. He didn't he didn't just completely dominate any one area he he obviously controlled it and he was scoring points and he was putting people in danger and he was getting takedowns but it wasn't like a situation where he was just having his way with Lozon so while I I think he did win it I I didn't really have as big a problem with it I have a big problem when it's a robbery when it's this guy's got 18 knockdowns and he's almost admitted you and you're all busted up you even barely touched him and it's a unanimous decision for the guy who just got totally dominated when it's a give and take fight I don't, I don't get as upset about it because then I start thinking, I start looking for areas where this person could say, "Well, maybe, maybe, maybe he won these rounds. Maybe he squeaked these rounds out." And I thought it was a fight where I don't think there was a lot of room to give the fight to Lozon, but I think there were some instances where someone could take the fight and say Lozon did enough to win. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm I'm just arguing the point. It wasn't a robbery. There was no. He was just doing everything he wanted to. Lozon, Lozon wasn't landing any punches. Lozon couldn't defend. Lozon couldn't threaten. It was nothing like that, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna um agree with you there on that. I definitely don't think he won the fight, but um I mean I would love to see him run it back. I would love to see him kind of fix this, whatever it may be. But um I thought that that was pretty great. Um let's look at the other one that also went down. Uh, the fight between Ben Saunders and Court McGee. Did you think that was a robbery? What were some of your thoughts on how that the winner of that fight was determined? Uh, I, I, that fight was just that was kind of that was kind of upsetting. I was really I was really into since I wasn't I wasn't really invested in either one of the guys. I was just kind of into the quality of the fight, and I thought it was really exciting. I thought Court McGee started looking more like he used to at one point court mcgee used to be a big volume guy real physical real active type fighter and he kind of got away from that in his last couple of fights he hasn't been as physical or been as durable or been as active and i was i was just into the whole fight as far as like watching them go back and forth i really thought mcgee might be able to overwhelm saunders and just put him away because I, I felt that saunders had taken so much punishment over his career he he didn't really have a lot of durability or recuperative ability left so i was kind of shocked to win the whole three rounds to be honest um, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was unanimous decision. I don't see how that could have been called at all. I didn't really feel kind of fight. It should be a unanimous, unanimous, unanimous. I can't talk today. Unanimous decision for for either guy. I mean, once again, it's one of the situations. I don't have a problem with it because I both. I think they're both good fighters. I thought it was a competitive fight, but I I, I don't know if I could see it as a unanimous decision. I, I felt like it was more competitive than that. Yeah, it was definitely more. Um, I thought it was competitive. Um, I didn't. I'm. 
I struggled to watch it for a little while. Yes, uh, I didn't think it was wholly, wholly, wholly competitive. But uh, you know, again, it was a uh, pretty good, um, pretty good event. Sorry, I got to for a second. Go ahead. It's an, an interesting style matchup because, you know, Saunders likes to either be in that long range and he likes to work that clinch. And and McGee likes to throw a lot of volume and kind of work his way in and kind of bully you, beat you up on the inside, kind of take you down and, and manhandle you. So it was, to me, stylistically, it was very interesting. But um, when you saw the work rate in there, I have to say I thought Saunders was a little bit sharper I thought like he I don't know that he he's necessarily the big power power hitter, but I felt like maybe he was a little bit sharper with his offense. And that might have been the turning factor in the fight, because as much volume as McGee throws, he's not always the most accurate guy. He throws a lot and he is very physical, but he doesn't land. He isn't always one of the guys who lands a lot of clean, consistent offense. And that's hurt him in fights before because he's not doing the damage he should be doing. And he's also not scoring, having those kind of head snapping, flashy, kind of loud impactful moments that the judges kind of react to as much as everybody likes to talk about technique and strategy there is the aspect of the judges you have to take that into account when you're coming up with your strategy or your game plan certain game plans you have to almost stop somebody to win the fight because you're playing against type you're playing for things that the judges might not notice sneaky things or slick things or strategical things that you might notice or i might notice but a judge he, he might not give credit to and that's where a lot of guys lose fights. They're not doing things that stand out to judges. They, they might be doing things that win fights, but they're not doing things that resonate with the judges. And if you're not doing something that resonates with the judges, then it's going to go against you every time. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's the reality of any combat sport. It's just the way it goes. It is. It's just the way uh, it, it goes in that sense. And I kind of struggle. I struggle with Court McGee. Um, I wonder what he's going to be long-term. Um, and he... He's kind of the product of, you know, the ultimate fighter. You know, you wonder what his long-term viability will be um, in MMA, and he's done well. I mean, he's done well enough. He's kind of kind of turned a corner as of late. This was a – I was kind of surprised to see him lose this fight regardless of the decision that came down or not. But, um, I, you know, I'm watching him, and I'm wondering where he's going to be. Uh, when it comes to the organization, like in the next two or three years, is he still going to be with the UFC or um, where is he going to be? Because, I mean, he's already 32. He's 18 and six. He's getting to that point where he's exchanging wins for losses. So I really wonder what's going to um, what's going to be the long term uh, viability of him. Corey McGee was never he's like he's one of those guys in that Forrest Griffin, Diego Sanchez kind of mold. He's a guy who gets the most out of what he has. He believes in himself. He pushes himself extra hard. He's usually physically and mentally prepared and and takes every step he can to improve because he doesn't have any margin for error. He doesn't have huge power. He doesn't have really dynamic speed. He's not explosive. And technically, even though he's gotten better and he's shown some craft and some skill, he's not a top-level striker. He's not a top-level wrestler. He's not a top-level grappler. He's a guy who's kind of an in-between in all areas, and he covers that up with physicality, durability, and volume. And that style works because a lot of guys come in unprepared. A lot of guys have talent and they, they're not doing their full amount of work or developing their skills completely. So they have these holes that he can exploit. But two things happen when you fight that way. One, you burn out quick because it takes everything you, you have to stay in the cage with guys who are better talent, better skilled, and have a better, better um, ha don't have the history of abuse that he had that, you know, I feel takes a toll on your body long term. 
And two, mm-hmm. it um, you just develop a style that kind of puts you in a journeyman role. I never thought Court McGee was going to be a contender for a title. He he did, to me he didn't have the talent, the physical talent to compete. He'd always be a good fighter. He puts on action fight. He's he's exciting. He's a tough out. But he's not the kind of guy who's going to win a title. And every time he's faced a certain level of cal- certain level of opposition, he's essentially lost. And it's just becoming more pronounced pronounced now. So I, I think he's the kind of guy who who probably if he stays in the UFC, he's going to be like a gateway guy. And if he has any hopes for trying to be anything more than that, he's probably going to have to go to a smaller smaller organization where the talent pool isn't so deep. Because uh-huh. at his at the division he fights in, uh, he's got a long way to go before he'd even be in the top. 10 much top 15 much less top 10 he's got a lot of guys young and old ahead of him and I, I don't think that he's on the right side of 30 to make that kind of run yeah i can definitely um agree with you there let's, let's look at some other did anyone else from the show impress you um i think uh that sergio pettis had a, a good showing in his win over um, John Moraga, he definitely looked dominant from start to finish. He um, did everything he needed to do. He controlled the range. He uh, kept the feet, uh, kept the fight on, on the feet as needed. Uh, he just kind of picked uh, Moraga apart with a clear, solid game plan from start to finish. Um, another three-round fight for him. Lou Thomas says something very interesting about the fact that he's continuously taking he's having these long fights which makes you wonder how much damage he's taking over his career i think he's only like 24 years old but um what are some of your thoughts on what you saw from sergio pettis well the, the set it's like a happy and sad thing the thing about sergio pettis is the sad thing is it's on two sides you see you see what anthony pettis could be if he didn't have that talent to bail him out because sergio pettis doesn't have that explosiveness that speed that power i don't think he even has anthony's durability so these fights go long periods of time, and you show you see him totally engaged with a sense of urgency, being offensively disciplined and defensively responsible over the full. And that's something you never see from Anthony. You've never seen it. He always finds some kind of finish earlier. At some point, you never see a consistent from beginning to end performance. And if he had that, he might still have his lightweight title. He might have performed better against Max Holloway at 45. For Sergio, is it's like they said. He's not a big hitter. He's not a dynamic athlete. So he ends up being in these long, drawn-out fights. And even if you're not taking punishment in these fights, to have to be going 15 minutes routinely, moving around, you know, faking, fainting, throwing kicks, throwing punches, even if you're winning, that puts a toll on your body. That's still abuse on your body. You scoring a kick is abuse to your body because your hands and legs and feet aren't built for that kind of stuff. That's why you have to condition yourself for it. So he's racking up abuse, and that's not including the abuse he's faced from opposition when they're landing these shots, and they're putting putting pressure on him, and they're putting getting their hands on him. And that is a very concerning thing for me because he has a limit as far as his physical talent. I think he's either hit it or he's very close to it. So he's got to essentially fight perfect fights to stay in fights and to win fights. And that's against guys like John Moraga, against the upper echelon of the division. Him fighting a perfect fight, almost isn't enough because he doesn't have anything that can turn the fight in his favor if it goes out of out of his way for a moment or two. He gets hit with a big shot. He doesn't have great durability. He doesn't have the kind of punching power that just will put, put him right back into a fight, nor does he have the athleticism to just land the, the perfect shot that'll put him right back into a fight either. So it's, it's interesting seeing a guy who's disciplined and so technical but knowing that he's either hit this wall or he's coming up on this wall very soon, that's going to essentially hinder him from moving any forward, mo- moving forward as far as a world contender. I'm said that's not even including 
the fact that he's consistently taking long fights, the dad's on mileage, and he takes on a lot of punishment from the accumulation of strikes he takes over the 15-minute time frames. And as you know, all the guys we've had all the time in the cage, a lot of times when they get finished, it's it's a, it's in spectacular fashion. BJ Penn's a guy who's had a lot of time in the cage. Michael Bisbee, guys had a lot of cage. And as you get further along, those those shots start adding up. And then you start getting knocked out or you start getting dropped or you start slowing a step because your body can't recover from all the damage you had. That athleticism starts to disappear. So um, it is a concern. But like I said, Pettis right now is the better Pettis. He does not athletically, but technically and mentally, he's just the better fighter. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the talent that I think is going to allow him to be a world champion. He might get to contendership, but I, I feel like soon after that, it's going to be a, a really rough road for him against guys who are much more talented. And what's interesting, you know, you, you brought up the fact that he's been in a lot of long fights. The last time he finished a fight early was 2013, um, uh, almost four years ago. And in the RFA? say that again. Was that in the RFA? No, no. Um, NAFC. Wow. So it was so, like the lower, lower end. Of yeah, it was actually it was right after RFA. It was between the RFA fight and his UFC um, debut. But so UFC, he's never finished. He's been finished in the UFC, but he's never finished anybody. Yeah, in the he's never finished anyone. All of his fights have been um, three round fights. And what's crazy about that is not necessarily what's crazy, but he's never finished anyone in the UFC. And I think John Morag is the first ranked guy he, he's defeated. Yeah, and, and so he's not finishing guys who aren't even mid-card guys because a lot of guys he fought early on were just lower-end card guys. Those are the guys you're supposed to blow through. You're supposed to dominate those guys. And even then, he didn't. And that, that's, that's, that's not a really good sign moving forward as far as when the talent level gets ramped up and you have mm-hmm. guys who are not just talented but disciplined in their approach. I mean, as, as much as we, people hate to say it, talent plays a big part in any athletic ende- endeavor. I understand Will and – want to and drive but this isn't football and basketball where they can put you in the right spots where your will can overcome this is a single opponent sport it's man on man talent on talent there's nowhere to hide you all you can do is maximize the skills you have and make sure the skills you have protect you and put you put you in position to win but if you don't have the talent when you hit that wall it's a sudden stop look at diego sanchez versus the prime bj penn look at kenny florian versus the prime bj penn guy who made very few mistakes, always improved, always had the technical advantage, always had that mind for the fight game. He faced a better talent, got dominated, got dominated. And you're right. It always comes in like, uh, it comes in sudden fashion. Yep, exactly. It comes in sudden fashion. And it's, and it's, it's, it's scary. Um, it always comes in very, very, very sudden fashion. And it's a, it's, a reminder, it's a reminder for people who don't, because a lot of people don't train who watch MMA. I never fought, as you know, but I've trained before, and I've trained with guys who are much better athletes. I'm like, I've had a, I'm like an average athlete at best, probably le- less than average. So I understand what it's like when you are much better than someone technically, and you see more things than they do, but you can't keep up with what they're doing. It's it's dramatic how bad it makes you look. And if he if he looks good but not dynamic against Moragas and guys of that nature. When he starts takes that next step, that's when you're going to start seeing the limitations hit, and that's when it's going to turn really bad. It's going to turn really bad really suddenly, like you said. It's going to be that quick. You're going to be like, this guy looked great against this last, in his last fight. He looked so sharp and so disciplined. How's this other guy hitting hitting him like that? How's this other guy taking him down like that? And, and then you're going to see it. You're going to see that talent gap. And I, and 
he's at such a young age, he's fought so many rounds and taken so many shots just by the fighting so many rounds. You wonder how long can he keep that up? Cause he's young right now, but that adds up quick when you're young. There's lots of guys who are young fighters who don't, who don't take punishment like they used to because they've taken so much. Stefan Struve is an example of that young guy been knocked out how many times and, and how many wars you, you just can't expose yourself to that. And since he doesn't have fight ending ability, he's constantly in these long, tedious, back and forth, mentally and physically exhausting fights. Yeah, I can definitely get with you on that. It's very, um, very exhausting uh, displays there. Um, you know, this show averaged about a, a little over a million views of viewers, excuse me, during its height on Sunday. And I thought that, that was a pretty good showcase um, for another Fox event. Fox platform event, so uh, those numbers continue growing, and I think that that's always something to see, good to see for the UFC product. Um, when people so, say why they made the fight between Yair and Penn, that's why. Say it again. When people say why did they make the fight between Yair and Penn, that's why they made it. Yair is not drawing that kind of number. Penn helps him do that. He's a big, he has a big fan base, and every time he says he's ready and he's he's prepared, he's in shape. People, I bought in. A lot of people buy in because they want to see BJ do well, and a lot of people tune in to see what he would do. So that's why they made yeah. that fight. It's not because they thought it was competitive. It's because they knew the new people, they want to make money, and they'll do whatever they have to do to make money. And if that means getting BJ Penn decapitated, the ratings are good, so be it. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely kind of right about that. It's um, unfortunate that, but yeah, you're definitely correct. So... Let's move on to this Saturday's uh, showcase where we have Bellator 170. And we don't always talk about Bellator events here, but um, yeah, let's, let's look at this one because there's another different, there's a number of different angles here about this. So obviously we have um, Chell Sonnen and Tito Ortiz out on the, um, in the main event. This is Tito Ortiz's last fight. And this fight has no, it doesn't have any, any, this fight has more entertainment value than it does necessarily sporting value, in my opinion. Talk to me about this. Is this a good main event for Bellator, and what do you expect? Um, it's good for Bellator's bottom line. I mean, that's the main thing. Bellator, as we discussed before, I actually did a piece on it on uh, MMA ratings. The problem with Bellator, they always go top-heavy. They don't invest in the mid-carters and the second-tier guys and the third-tier guys to round out these shows. That's why we're talking about this show, because for once, instead of one or two big fights and a bunch of squash matches, if you know pro wrestling, you know what a squash match is, we have actually four or five, six, we have a main card full of competitive, exciting fights with guys coming off of wins and guys who have a chance to take the next step in the Bellator organization. That's why we're talking about this. Um, this is good for the bottom line. It'll probably be exciting. I, I, I figure Sonnen's got to win. I mean, to be quite honest, Sonnen was a better fighter at his peak than, than Ortiz was at his. And since Ortiz has been in Bellator, you know, he's beaten some guys, but one was a middleweight and the other one was Stefan Bonner, who hadn't fought in years either. But as far as Bellator's, what they need from this, they're getting what they want from it. Tito saying crazy things, Sonnen being catchy and smooth and funny, and they're going to get a, a high number, and that's going to give bigger ratings and more money for Viacom and Bellator. And hopefully it's going to give the rub to these younger guys who are going to be performing on a big platform where a lot of people are going to be watching, which is why they, they stack the card of course. So let's talk about um, the main event. Uh, we obviously we have two guys who 
are known for talking, are known for being, you know, they were very great. They were great in their prime. Their prime is past, though. Um, what You mentioned that Sonnen should win this fight. I agree with you, especially with the way Tito fights. You know, he looks good for the first two minutes, and then it's a drastic decline in performance. So, how, A, what do you, I do, I'm expecting this fight to end at, like either at the end of the first or towards the um, or in the second round. What are your thoughts uh, about how this fight is, is going to shake down? Uh, I figure the fight. I kind of feel the fight will go. Yeah, I, I probably have. I, I can't imagine Tito just just giving up. I want to say it's going to go to a decision. I want to say I think Sonnen should win, but I I think it should go to a decision. The only reason I'm going with Sonnen is he's he's the better wrestler. I, I think he's probably. Tito might be bigger, maybe, but Sonnen's just as strong as him. And Sonnen's actually faced the, the better competition over their careers. He's he's got almost as many as many, if not more, fights than Tito. He's fought a lot. Fought from one end of the spectrum of MMA when there weren't a lot of top end athletes in it, all the way to recently. I have to give it to Sonnen. He's just he should be better on the feet. He should be more durable. He should be stronger, and he's a better wrestler. I think Tito might be the better overall grappler. But Tito hasn't really submitted somebody from the bottom in years. And there's a good chance this fight ends up being a little bit more of a striking match that usually would happen, at least initially, with wrestling base fighters, the two grapplers facing each other, two wrestlers. So there's probably going to be a fair amount of striking. But I, I figure it ends with um, Chael Sonnen grinding him out. I, I just don't know that Tito's good enough off the ground to submit him. And unless Chael's, like, totally shot, I can't imagine Tito putting him on skates and knocking him out on, on the feet. I mean, Sonnen, Sonnen's not great on the feet, but more or less everybody he's faced, he, he's had his moments. Even later in his career, he, he's done all right on the feet. He did all right with Rashad before Rashad took over. And so I, I'm just going to assume that, that Sonnen's going to win this. He's just going to grind him out. Yeah, I can um, I can agree with that there. I, I do think that it's going to be kind of a, kind of a, a grind fest. Um, so... Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm not too, too interested in that fight in that sense. What I'm interested in is seeing what the what this main event does for viewership for the show. Um, I always like to see when Bellator does have a strong viewer base for any of their events. And I think that this main event does have the ability to impact, to have that type of impact, to get people... It's going to be a big number. I mean, Bonner and, and, and Ortiz did huge numbers rating-wise, and nobody really knows Bonner all that well. As, as much as they say he was big on t- tough and and the UFC made him a Hall of Famer. Nobody knows him like they know Chael Sonnen. You can see Chael Sonnen on all sorts of stuff. ESPN, his podcast, he's, he's all over the place. Chael Sonnen's name still carries some merit. So I, I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a big, a very big rating. I, I can't imagine not being, because a lot of casual fans just like how he is. They, he, he's got a fan base outside of MMA. He's not just an MMA fighter who appeals to casuals. He's got a actual fan base outside of MMA. There's people who don't really, care about him as a fighter they just like his interesting takes and and how he talks and how he calls people out and the the stances he takes on things they, they don't really care too much about him as a fighter so i, I think he's gonna pull i think it's gonna be a huge rating and yeah I, and, and that's what i want to see um i want to see 
I want to see a huge rating for the show because I want to see them have success over um over the long term. But I'm also interested in I want to see some de- development. You know, in the co-main event we have Paul Daly and Brennan Ward, and I wrote about how you know I, I wrote a piece for um, ratings this week about Daly and what he could have been in his career. I think that there was an opportunity where he could have been someone great. I'm not necessarily saying a champion, but he could have been a draw. He still is a draw in a sense because he's always knocking guys out, putting them out, getting them out of there. Um, so you do have that, but he just never has, has he ever been a, um, huge draw when it comes to star power? Um, but I still think he's someone worth a watch and I'm looking forward to seeing him, um, compete on Saturday. And I'm also a fan of Brennan Ward as well. I think that this is the, this is the right type of fight to have these two guys in there going at it because someone's going to get knocked out. And that's the type of fight where one of these guys can become a um, a growing point from there. We also have uh, Hisaki Kato against Halleck Gracie. I think that's going to be a great um, showcase too, as well. I'm not uh, I'm not too familiar with Kato. Um, you know, I know of, I know of Gracie from Gracie Fame and uh, Mena Morris, but uh, I think that this is this is going to be a a interesting fight just from a um, competitive standpoint. I don't think it's going to be. It doesn't have much of a um, what's the word? A much of a title implication to me, but I just still think it's something that's going to be worth watching. Well, with the Ward fight, the Ward fight is interesting because we've had this discussion about him before. They've been trying to get they've been trying to get Ward over for a while now. It's just he always loses at the worst possible moment. Every time they they he comes off a win, he's got some buzz behind him. They're about to give him that big push. He finds some way to lose a big fight. That's what always happens. So once again, they're giving him a name opponent who. Who as good as who as good as Daly can be at some spaces, Daly's never been a great grappler. He's never been a great defensive ra- wrestler. And to be quite honest, in his last fight where he, he actually got the stand-up fight he wanted, he looked a, he looked he looked a little his ste- he looked a step slow. His cardio didn't look, you know, getting the fight he wanted. His cardio didn't look nearly as good as you was expected to be. You understood what he got tired because he was getting grounded out and wrestled, but he got a stand-up fight. And he said, he still faded as a, he still faded in this in this stand up fight. There, he's a little bit older. He's had some wear and tear, and he's not he's not anybody's wrestler or grappler. So I think Ward should win this. But as I've said before, Ward always finds a way to lose against guys he shouldn't be losing against when he's about to get the big push from Bellator. They want him to win, but he keeps losing in the biggest spots. He does, um, and I'm actually looking at his record here. And uh, let's see, he he dropped that one to Cyborg. Um, he dropped that one to T- uh, Tammy McCrory and um, Alexander uh, Shemenko. You're totally right. He does tend to drop fights when when the lights shine the brightest. But then you look at that. Spectacular losses. Spectacular yeah. losses. And you look at that four fight win streak he went on, you know, he was he wasn't really beating anybody. You know, he's coming off a win over Syed Awad. Awad's a lightweight. So. Yep. Yeah, it, this is this is that moment for him. He's only 28 years old. He has a 14 and four record, a pretty solid record. He's one of those guys that you know Bellator can kind of groom and say that they groomed into their own, the same way they did with Michael Chandler. But he has to get that quality win when it matters most, and that opportunity is this Saturday. He's the anti-Chandler. He's got like the edge. He kind of talks a lot. He's kind of edgy and angry, and maybe a little bit has a little bit of an urban vibe going for him. Chandler's more of a clean cut. Oh, I apologize for saying that. I shouldn't say that. Ward's the exact opposite. So he appeals to the other demographic they have, but he fights dumb. He can strike. He's got power. He's got athleticism, 
but his defense has never been there. And to be honest, I don't know that his chin's really there. And if there's something that Daly still can do, he can take a shot for a little bit and he can deliver one. So if Ward's smart, he's going to come out, mix it up, get that takedown, because Ward's actually a wrestler, a good wrestler. Take him down, kind of grind him out, get him in these clinches, kind of wear him out, and then maybe try his hand with the striking. He doesn't want to engage early, because nine times out of ten when he engages early in striking battles and he gets clipped, he, he just doesn't recover. So hopefully he's in there. I know he wants to make a, make a statement and put a stamp on this, but the stamp would be actually beating a named fighter, which he's never done. Beating somebody who's who's still close to their prime or in their prime and beating them instead of losing spectacularly. That's, that's all the stamp he needs at this stage. He needs to have a big win so Bellator can get the full machine behind him. But every time they do this, every single time, you, you check the record, every single time he's about to get that rub, gets finished. And, and they have to start all over and rebuilding. So hopefully this time he comes out with a good game plan and, and takes advantage of pretty much what should be a showcase fight for him. This is the fight that he should win and he should do and do, do so in dominant fashion. But you never know what he's going to do. You never know which Brandon, Brandon Ward is going to come out. Mm-hmm. I can definitely uh, agree with you on that. What else kind of stands out on this card for you? What are some other um, areas that you're interested in, in in seeing? Well, I like the Cato fight just because, um, you know, he, he was brought in as a, as a sacrificial lamb um, for I forgot the kid, Schilling, the kickboxer. Yeah, Joe Schilling. And, yeah, Joe Schilling. Excuse me. I disrespectful. I, uh, they brought him in as a showcase for Schilling and then he beat, he KOs him. And then they brought him into kickboxing as a, you know, for Schilling to get his revenge. And then he KOs him again. So it's kind of interesting seeing this guy who comes from a traditional martial artist background, but who's an experienced MMA fighter who has basically pulled two huge upsets. And then he, if I recall correctly, he beat Man- Melvin Manoff too. He KO'd him. So it's like he, he was brought in as a guy to help build these other guys' careers, you know, a guy who can strike a little bit, who will fight them in the range they want to fight in and give them a, a chance to have the spectacular win they want to have. And he upset the apple cart twice. So I'm kind of interested to see how much further he can take this. I'm not so much interested in the Gracie thing. Um, I know that Kron, the one who fights, fights Risen, he's, he's what I consider more of a legitimate talent and a name guy who's faced top-end guys and, and proven that he can hang. I mean, the Gracie name is going to bring a fan, so there, there is that. But um, I'm kind of interested to see what happens with Cato. I, I've been a big fan of his ever since he had that upset, and um, it's it's nice it's nice to see one of those feel good stories where a guy who's not supposed to win, who doesn't have the rub, who doesn't have the backing, who's just supposed to be another guy, turns the tables and kind of gets his own thing going, and that's exactly what he's done. He had no, he had he had an opportunity, and he made the most of it. So, so are you going to watch Saturday? Uh, yeah. I mean, I usually watch Bellator cards. I don't I don't have a bias against Bellator cards. A lot of people are like, it's Bellator, it's second-class MMA. I don't think it's second-class MMA. I think for the top of the cards and the main cards, you have good, solid MMA. As I said before, the only problem is there's not enough depth in between. You shouldn't have – I mean, we talk about a talent drop-off between the main cards and the undercards on UFC fight nights. It's nothing compared to the drop-off between the main cards and the undercards in Bellator. They just don't have enough fighters to do, to ha- have consistently good fights from beginning to end. It's real. It's like a bunch of squash matches. It's a bunch of guys who who are so-so fighters fighting each other. That's been their biggest problem. But on the top end, they do show they do make big events. They find a way to make fights that aren't necessarily exciting or aren't sexy fights or don't have title implications. 
they make them exciting. They make events out of them. And I'm always interested in that aspect of MMA. That's why I used to watch Pride. That's why I watch Risen. And on the top end of the card, they have some good fights. They have like, uh, you know, probably about five or six good fights. I think uh, Machida's brother's fighting on the card too. And I'm a big fan of his as well. So um, I'm going to watch the event. I support Bellator because it gives fighters another opportunity to make a living and fighters another opportunity to build their records and develop their skills so that they can be better, better prepared moving forward as fighters. So I'm still going to watch. I'm, I'm a fan. That's, that's that's great to hear. I plan on watching as well. Um, so let's talk about some of the news from this week. Let's see. I wanted to... Um, first things first, I want to talk about Tim Kennedy's retirement. Um, what are your thoughts on Kennedy? You know, I... Definitely, I I'm a fan of his. Um, haven't always struggled with some of his some of his controversial points outside of the cage, but as a competitor, I've definitely enjoyed watching him fight. I love that fight he had with Jacare and Rockhold. Um, I love this fight with uh, Bisbing, even the one with uh, Yoro Romero. So, what are your thoughts? What what, what were you, how will you remember Tim Kennedy? Uh, I think he. I mean, he was he was never a great fighter. I think he was a good fighter. I think he represented himself well. I mean, he he was a he was kind of a, he always created firestorms because he was very open and honest about his opinions regarding political issues and social issues and issues such as that. And that caused a lot of, brought, brought a lot of heat on him that he didn't really, he didn't really need, but it's something that he felt strongly about. So he stood up for what he believed in. He said what he felt. And while I didn't always agree with it, I have to respect somebody who has the courage to do those things because not everybody does them as a fighter. Um, he never really stood out to me. I mean, he was a good grappler. He was a tough guy. He was a smart guy. But in my opinion, he was never like, he was just never really a top end guy. I never thought, saw him winning a title. I didn't think he, I thought he was big enough, strong enough, but I, I never felt he had the all round game, technical game or the overall talent to win. Um, he kind of, he came in kind of late and, um, I don't think he, he was, I mean, he, he hasn't been in MMA that long. He hasn't had that many fights. But he's already on the decline. He's he's on already on the back end. So um, I think he made the most of what he had, and and I think he represented himself well, and he represented his team well. But I think he's going to stand out more for the things he said and the stances he took more so than anything he did in his career. I mean, his two shots to the title at Strikeforce, he lost. He beat Michael Bisping, which is probably one of his biggest wins, and then Bisping turns right back around and wins the title and kind of overshadows him from that point on. So I think a lot of his impact as far as his prime and after it's going to be stuff he does outside of the cage and stuff that he says away from MMA. Yeah. And I, and it was listening to his interview with um, Luke Thomas. It seems that, you know, he's definitely determined to do as much work outside of the cage as possible, um, at least for fighters unions. And I can, um, or fighter rights, fighters' rights, and I can appreciate that. And I hope he is successful in, in that vein because this is a conversation that's been going on for a long time and I think it's time that someone who's willing to take those risks um, does so and becomes more more vocal without having to worry about if I'm going to get booked for a fight coming up or if they're going to try to get rid of me so I, I'm glad to see that he's willing to um, continue that, that that good fight well the downside about that is the the the, the downside about it is he is no longer a fighter. And the trend, the trend, you know, that happens with most people who go against the UFC, it, it's always guys coming off a loss. This is always guys on the end of their career. It's always guys who are no longer fighting. And so once again, we have a guy who's not in the middle of it, who doesn't really have any cachet, 
and isn't on a winning streak and doesn't have a name and doesn't have a title, one of those guys is the guy that's complaining, which always makes it easy for the organization to say, yeah, of course he's complaining. He's retiring. He never got the big payday he wanted. He never got the big name he wanted. He never got the big win he wanted. It's kind of easy to dismiss people who aren't in position to win. It's harder to dismiss. It's easier to dismiss him. But if Michael Bisping is making the same complaints, that stands out more. He's a champion. When Tyron Woodley, as unpopular as he is, makes those complaints, it stands out. When Tim Kennedy, a guy who essentially has lost all the big fights he's had in the UFC, except for the Bisping, I guess, who, who, who's never been considered a real top five contender, who's never had a lot of appeal or had a lot of buys or been in the favor of the organization, when he speaks out, it means something because you know he's a man of character, but it doesn't carry that much weight because he's never been a player in MMA. He's been an MMA fighter, but he's never been a player in MMA, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't carry as much weight. It's yet another retired veteran who now has a problem with the system. And he, when he was complaining the most about the system, he wasn't a part of it either. He was on a break because he was mad about the loss from, with Romero. So it, it's kind of like that same trend all over again. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I think we're at a point where we can kind of where we can begin to see some change and some turnaround. But uh, it's just going to be a, a large, ar- a long, arduous fight. And uh, I, I think that you know we're kind of we're slowly seeing someone being willing to take up that front. It'd be nicer if it was a current guy who had some kind of cachet. Uh, Conor McGregor makes this. Even George St. Pierre didn't start talking till after he did his retirement. It'd be nice to see somebody who's got a name, who's got something to lose making that statement because that's the kind of person people listen to you don't listen to poor people you listen to a rich person telling you the poor people are suffering the poor people have been telling you for years but you don't hear it until the rich person tells you hey why aren't we doing anything for these poor people that's when people start caring that's how it works in the real world and that's how it works in the fight world that is that is um very true there the next news item i want to look at is you see Nate diaz is applying for a boxing license yes for some odd reason Maybe I'm crazy, but I am willing to bet that Nate Diaz boxes before Conor McGregor does. I can see that. I mean, he he boxes a lot. Is he saying that? I mean, him and his brother. Everybody says they 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 like boxing and they learn boxing. But the fact of the matter is, if your name isn't Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, or King Mo Lawal, you don't really box like you say you do. They box ranked pros. They box champions. They box top ten fighters. Most people just box with other MMA fighters. So Nate and Nick Diaz, King Mo, they have a better understanding of what it takes to compete in boxing than a lot of MMA fighters do. So I could see him doing that. I mean, he has a name. He could probably get paid quite a bit of money to compete. And a lot of MMA fighters who aren't as big as him get bigger paydays in boxing than they do in MMA because people need fighters. So they'll bring guys in and they'll be fighting a guy who's outside their class as far as skill but they'll get paid really good money because they need a guy for that person to face. Nate Diaz has a name. I mean, he's not a Conor McGregor, but people will tune in to see him fight. People people will tune in to see him fight. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in seeing it. I don't know that I'd, I'd bet that he'd win, but I'd be interested in seeing the fight. Yeah, I, I, w- I would see it too as well. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, it's not about him winning or losing. It would just be something to uh, see how it went down and see how he would do to see that crossover appeal. It'd be interesting if he ended up boxing Conor McGregor first, and then Conor, whoever wins, fights uh, McGreg- fights uh, Mayweather. That would be interesting. Yeah, I would, I would. I would watch that. I would definitely watch that and see what what would happen. 
Uh, and the final news story I want to talk about is, speaking of your friend, you know, you always speak highly of King Mo. Did you see him on the Technique Talk this past week? Uh, I think he was talking to Luke Thomas, and they featured it on um, MMA Fighting. You there? Yes, I saw some of that, sir. And and what were your thoughts? I you know I think that like as you've always mentioned, Luwag is very underplayed. He is a brilliant, um, he is a brilliant MMA mind in, in my opinion, and I don't think he always gets that credit. So uh, it was good to see this interview with him because it, it kind of delved into his conversations in a in a different way. But um, what did you think of that? just just the commentary that was that was there in in this piece? Um, it's being someone who's talked to him a bit. It's a lot of the stuff I've had conversations with him about, you know, issues with the judging issues with how people, um, fight and it's kind of getting cookie cutter and people aren't, people aren't, the fans aren't really fans of fighters or fans of MMA. They're fans of the UFC and fighters aren't. So they get into a comfort zone. You're breaking up there, friend. Shawn, you there? Okay, we may have lost them for a minute fight there. The there you yeah. go. You back? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, people fight in the same system. They fight in the same structure, and nobody's really pushing themselves past a certain point to develop. They don't take the sport seriously. And he said that – I've talked to him about that many a time. He's like, a lot of guys say they're in the gym. They're not. A lot of guys say they're developing new skills. They're not. A lot of guys say they're training with this guy and that guy, and they might do it for a day or two, but it's not consistent. And it's something that bothers them because it's like you can't expect the sport to be taken seriously when the people competing at the highest level aren't taking it seriously either. What and like, what did, what do you think the hit like the memory of of Luol's career would be? Um, I always wish that you know we got to see him in the UFC because I, I definitely I wish I could have seen him be vocal in some of these different situations that have come up across MMA over time. You know, he has has some things to say, but he just hasn't had the opportunity to be that um, that catalyst to kind of cause some change. I think he can be a, a, a strong lightning rod. When you think about King Mo, um, what do you think his legacy will be? Well, part of his legacy is going to be that he, he was a guy who was a money fighter, money weight fighter. He fought in a bunch of different ways, and he was willing to go wherever he had to go to compete and to get paid for competing. I mean, he's fought in Japan. He's fought in Japan multiple times. If you look at how often he would fight in a year, he stays He stays very busy. He's a guy who's about loyalty, and he's about treating people well, and he's about doing what's expected of him as a fighter, as long as you're tre- treating him with respect and respecting his talent and what he brings to the table. So he's, he's a guy who I think in a lot of ways has made an impact because he's one of the few guys who's spoken honestly and openly about judging and spoken honestly and openly about training and about fighting and about the realities of fighting and the realities of promoting. A lot of guys won't say what he says because they're afraid of getting on somebody's bad side. And one thing you know about Mo, if you know him at all, is he's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to say one thing off the record and then say something else on the record. And he's not going to let a promoter or a trainer or anybody else dictate how he's going to respond or what he's going to do for his own career. He respects everybody. He respects what they do. But he has his own opinions, and he's not playing the game for anybody. We've talked about this many times. I'm like, you could be a big star if you would just play the game. He's like, I don't play the game. That's not what I do. 
I'm a real person. I'm going to be real and I'm going to do my job. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be just playing up to people, nor am I going to be just trying to get endorsed or anything. I, I, I know what I can do. I know my value. I know my worth. And I'm going to do what it takes to represent myself appropriately. So I think he's made a stand for himself. And I think he's, he's been successful as he's been one of the more successful guys in MMA. Um, he hasn't won like a major title yet, but he's performed pretty well. And I still think he has a chance to win a major title before the, his career is up. Yeah, I can definitely um, see that. He's always been someone I've enjoyed watching, and um, he's someone that I definitely, you know, wish he had the um, more exposure than he has. But I've always been a fan of King Mo, and I, I, I think he's going to be a great contributor to the sport going forward. And one last thing, he's actually a really thoughtful person. He's always talking about doing volunteer work and how he can help kids and things he can do. He, he knows everybody. He tries to help fighters if they need somebody in a camp if they need help getting a start, if they need advice, he's one of the first people somebody will point you to as far as if you, you need help getting a start, or you need guidance or you need some support. He's one of those guys who doesn't forget people who help and he never, he never stops going out of his way to help people. So he's the kind of guy who everybody in the, in the MMA community knows about. He's helped a lot of your favorite fighters and a lot of name fighters as it stands right now. So that's another impact he's made. He's actually a person who really doesn't just talk about the issues, but he tries to do his best to address the issues as a fighter and as a human being. And a lot of fighters don't do that. They talk a lot about what they're going to do, but they don't do anything. Not in their communities, not for their fellow fighters. And he speaks up for other fighters. He speaks on their behalf and he tries to do his best to help them out and protect them, whether it's financially or with the camp or uh, just getting some work or getting opportunities. He's the first guy to speak up anytime and every time. I mean, he helped me out. I got my start in all this because of him. So I'm proof that, of the kind of person that he is. Yeah, and I've definitely had some um, interesting conversations with him over time as well. I think he is um, definitely someone I've, I've enjoyed speaking with. Um, so with that in mind, man, like, uh, let me know if you have any closing thoughts. What are you working on this week? Um, I've already released a – I did a, an article regarding outside consultants in MMA. That came out on Monday, and it's been getting a lot of a good um, – good reviews and feedback from people. So thank you for all the fans who read it and retweeted it, afforded to other people. I really appreciate that. Uh, about next week, I should be getting the end of this week or next week, I should get part two out. Where we're discussing the reasons why people don't use outside analysts or consultants, because as much of a benefit as they are and every other sport uses them, MMA doesn't use them. And there's, there's a couple main reasons. There's a couple big reasons why they don't. So I'm going to explore that a little bit. And that should be out if not Friday by Monday. Okay. I get that. I definitely get that. Um, so let's see what else I am. I just finished up a piece about Paul Daly, which I wish will come out today. And I'm probably going to look at Tito Ortiz, uh, later on this week and just recognize what his, um, what his place is in, in this sport, because he's someone that has been a, an interesting character, both before the UFC beef and after UFC beef. So I'm going to talk about, um, Tito, and I look out for that Paul Daly piece probably uh, pr probably tomorrow. And I'm also always always doing stuff with Bloody Elbow and covering the Panthers, even though their season's over, covering Carolina and, and looking at what they're doing for next year as well. Uh, their season was over after week number three. Oh, they were, their season was over. You're right. It was over a long time ago. And um, at, at least, you know, they, oh, they got an extra 
what 13 practices in um yeah. and that was basically what it what it attributed to a very disappointing season this year across the board 2017 about three weeks in so yeah it's, it's definitely been um across the board but yeah so with that in mind um we appreciate everybody for listening to the show please be sure to like and share the show when you see it on youtube um share it as well uh on your social media posts as we always do here we appreciate all the feedback that we get and all the viewership um our show has definitely been growing over the last few weeks and that now lets us know that we're doing um, some content that you want to uh, listen to so you can always find us at mmaratings.net Catch us there on Instagram and Twitter as well. You can follow me at R. Garcia Sports, and you can follow Strawn at the Black Jordan Breen. And again, catch us back here next week as we are talking MMA and all things to deal with the sport. One more thing, guys. Uh, we are now on SoundCloud. I know some people can't always get to YouTube, but we're available on SoundCloud now. So if you want to check for us there, go right ahead. We always we uh, want to give you another outlet to listen to the show on. Feel free to do that as well, too, guys. Right, and with that in mind, Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody.